And I am Aware Now. Aware Now, the official platform for causes. Tune in and turn it up as we raise awareness one story at a time for the causes that tie us all together. World-renowned neuroscientist Dr. Nicholas Bazan is the very definition of a Renaissance man. With interest and expertise in a number of fields, he can metaphorically define his scientific research and technical findings in a way where his brilliance isn't lost in translation, but found in a manner deserving of an ovation. Dr. Bazan, your obsession with the mind began before you were nine. You were eight years old when your aunt had a grand mal seizure before you. In your fictional novel, Una Vida, that is based on your real life, your aunt's seizure is referenced this way. His aunt began to convulse violently. Her body flailed like a chicken whose neck had just been wrung. While this happened so many years ago, Dr. Bazan, can you still remember the details of that moment? And if so, please share, please take us back to that moment because it was that moment that really set the course for your career and, and for your life. Yes, yes. Well, <laughs> that was really a special moment because uh, I was very enthusiastic with piano. And, and I was going to this conservatory in northern Argentina, in a city called Salta, where we used to live at that time. And, and my aunt was also going to the conservatory to, to take lessons, piano lessons, was a younger sister of my mother. And when this event happened, uh, my mother told me that her sister has a brain disease, epilepsy. And at that age, that stuck in my mind, brain disease. And I, I will, you know, I, I cannot tell how that connected with what happened to me thereafter, but there were two events. Number one, I didn't want to go anymore to the piano lessons. That was the end of me learning piano. And I regret immensely because I love music. I wish I continue to do that. And the, the second was some, some something in my mind all along primary school, high school, all of that about, about the brain. And I believe that was an unconscious driver for me to go to medical school and to begin my, my, my research, even as a medical student, my interest about the brain. Yeah, I, I think that was a sort of a, an event that motivated me in a big, big way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, well, that makes sense for sure. Um, you know, so speaking more about this novel of yours, in Una Vida, music plays such a large role. And you and I have talked about the correlation between music and the mind. I'd love for you to share now the effect that music has on the brain. And then after that, I'd love to just hear about how music can be such a beautiful metaphor to describe our minds and, and how they work. Something that happens in Alzheimer's disease research during the last few decades is a realization that music awakens 
certain circuits in the brain of patients with Alzheimer's, even in advanced cases of Alzheimer's. And some, not all, will in a way reconnect in a temporary minor way with music. And, and this, these findings are very strongly supported by detailed uh, research on, 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 the, on the brain of these patients with imaging and this and that. But, but that, that uh, several years ago gave rise, rise to, to the idea that music therapy can help a patient with Alzheimer's disease. And this is the case. Many, many places in America and all over the world, uh, assisted living facilities for people with, with dementia in different stages, use music as a way to facilitate uh, the connection, if, if one will say, because as the disease progresses, the connection of the mind of patients go far, far away but, but some, some, some of them seem to be very receptive. So there's a big, big unknown there. Which circuits in the brain are those that are linked to the auditory system and to music? How, how much the music that a person has had earlier on in life influenced the process? All of those are questions that we don't understand very well. But, but the fact is that music therapy plays a role. And, and, I, and I use that in the novel as a way to uh, somehow connect the issue of Alzheimer's disease music, the beauty of the city of New Orleans, and, and the jazz. Because the character of the novel is a, a jazz musician, a fictional jazz musician that has Alzheimer's disease. And, and, and that, that was, in a way, a metaphor to try to, to convey on one hand, the influence of music on the, on the brain, and secondly, around the subject, all along in the book and in the movie, my intention was to remove the stigma of Alzheimer's disease. You see, in our society, we have many stigmas linking conditions of our brain, diseases of our brain, Alzheimer's, epilepsy, addictions, Addictions are diseases, and and they, they, people got, should not be stigmatized. And so I think I think my effort there, insofar as Alzheimer's disease, as an example of a brain disease, was to remove the stigma of the disease and use New Orleans music and what I just told you about about this important influence of music on the on the brain of patients with Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I hear you on the stigma side of things. There's far too many stigmas and um, that are just, they're not helping anything yes. or anyone. So to be done with those would be, would be good. Um, yes. You know, so, so let's, uh, the fact of it is, is that many great books become great films. And this holds true with your novel, Una Vida, that became the film of mind and music written by you, along with Richie Adams, who served as the film's director. The film stars Joachim de Almeida, uh, Anjanou Ellis, and Bill Cobbs. The cast did such an amazing job of embodying the characters that you created. So my question for you, in the number of conversations we've had, I've never asked you this. What was it like to see yourself portrayed 
as the character that you wrote, Dr. Alvaro Cruz, played by Joachim. What was that like? Well, that, that, was, that was an extraordinary experience, particularly because Joaquin de Almeida is such an extraordinary human being and great actor that until then, all the time he played the bad guy. Yes. Most movies that he did. And, and here he played this benevolent, understanding, concerned doctor that was trying to understand what happened to just to this jazz musician that has Alzheimer's disease. I, I think part was because he's a, he's a naturally good human being and, and he knew that doing this, he was doing, performing a character with a purpose that was going to have an impact. But the second reason is his mother had Alzheimer's disease. So, so he, he was very, very motivated about the theme of the movie. But, but the axis was Alzheimer's disease, music. What can we portray here in this film that can be beneficial to the community? And, and uh, it was, it was uh, rewarding because uh, one, other, one other factor in the making of the movie, because this was an independently made movie, <laughs> was that time was of an essence. So, so they had to work from very early until very late. And, 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 and that impressed me quite a bit because the dedication that they all have and, and that axis Mm -hmm. The disease, Alzheimer's, music, uh, all the really intrinsic purpose of, 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 of the fable of music and the mind in which the book is based, I, I think that that, 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 was, that was something that drove uh, inside each of them motivation and dedication. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's very apparent. and. And the finished product, which is just, if no one, if there's anyone who has not seen the movie, they absolutely must. It's, it's just incredible. As a neuroscientist, why is it important for you to use your knowledge of the mind outside of the lab? Well, in a, in a way, is to communicate, try to reach to the community and, and communicate with people because I, I believe there is a void in the understanding, as we said at the beginning, of diseases of the brain and the significance, particularly when we age. So, so my, my writings, uh, my novels, there are two published and others that I'm writing, uh, have as an objective to try to, to somehow communicate that there are people uh, in the labs like me and many others uh, trying to really uh, solve those issues that are so important to our community. You know, so, so we've talked about the artistic application of your knowledge with your book, your film. Um, now, let's focus on the scientific work that you've done and that you continue to do with so many successes over the years. I would love to hear your personal top three achievements in your lab. Well, the, the, the very first one is, is I, I've been lucky uh, to be surrounded all my life in all the different laboratories. Uh, I began a lab first, a second, this is the third one now that I have for several decades now. Uh, to be surrounded by highly motivated, 
highly talented people. And, 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 and I have a style uh, of mentoring and guiding, which is very open. And, and I, I, I like really to make an effort and listen to everybody because everybody contributes all the time. So, so the, the, the first, uh, if you will call it achievement, is that I have been lucky to be surrounded always by, by great people. And, and the, the second one, uh, scientifically, my, my experiments and, and the ideas that we test are based on one very straightforward principle. Uh, we, we are trying to decipher if there is a molecular logic in our brains to be able to, to survive and, and in some cases uh, to have uh, nine decades of healthy cognition and vision. And in others that fails. But, but the, the driver for that had been always the following. Uh, Ali, think about, for example, familial forms of Alzheimer's disease. Those are people that are born with a mutation in certain genes. We know now five of them, that those that are born with the mutations in those genes, they will develop inevitably Alzheimer's disease. Now, the development of the disease typically begins at age 35 or 40. Some a little earlier, but in general, 35 or 40. So my question had been and continues to be, what happened in the brain during those 30 or 40 years? The mutation is there that causes Alzheimer's, yet clinically, the loss of cognition, the loss of memory, take three, four decades to pop out. So the, 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 the question that, that came to my mind was, is the brain making something inside that counteracts the expression of the mutation. That's why clinically there is no symptoms uh, of disease. Uh, in our experiment, we call it, we are fishing for molecular guardians of our brain. Mm -hmm. and, and we publish the discovery of molecular guardians, uh, the most recently in 2017, specific chemicals that the brain makes. Normally, in, in, in the cells of our brain, there are building blocks of those guardians and they are alert and ready to be made when needed. Stroke, traumatic brain injury, the onset of Alzheimer's, and I'll be talking about that in a, in a, in a national, well, an international meeting 10 days from now uh, uh, that we, will, will be held here in New Orleans. So, the onset of Alzheimer's, the onset of Parkinson's, triggers the making of those guardians. And those guardians are in, made in, in our brain in very, very little quantities, yet they are very powerful because they, they are neuroprotective and they try to restore the function of the brain. And, and so, uh, you know, it, it's difficult to, to respond which are achievements, but, but globally that is one uh, that, that we have actually hypothesized and, 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 and tested and, 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 and discovered that that is the case. So when we found that, then, then we collaborated with the chemist 
to make what we found. And, and, and then that molecular guardian, we put it back in the brain, or we put it back in, in brain cells in a Petri dish, and we demonstrated that effectively, they are neuroprotective molecules. And, and, and so, so that, that, that will be one, one achievement of our laboratory. So, so the concept, of the, the, the concept, the idea of molecular guardians and the discovery of the molecular guardians of these specific molecules, you know, they, they create in a way resiliency in our brain, but, but they are not the only ones. I believe there are complementary mechanisms. I, I, I think in order to have all the extraordinary properties of our brain, we, we, we need a complementary kind of mechanisms. Uh, we call them redundancy. For sure there is redundancy. For sure our molecular guardians are working alongside other similar mechanisms and all together are the ones that protect, imagine, our memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the, 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 the wonderful things that our brain does. Mm-hmm. Well, that's so interesting, and it, it actually just makes me previous conversations that you and I have had about music and about the different instruments, you know, all combining, working together to create, you know, this this full sound. Um, and if they're fragmented, there's it's a very different expression. So just like you're saying, to have these you know, different parts and pieces that are all sort of working together collaboratively. Well, well, I think I think a, a, a symphonic orchestra in a way, is an, a good analogy of how the brain works. Because in, in, in the brain, in our brains, we have a multitude of mechanisms. We have trillions of connections between neurons, which are called synapses. And, and, and there are circuits there that we don't understand quite well, you know, that allow us to make decisions, allow us to have emotion, emotions, and and to do things that artificial intelligence and machine learning and computers will never do. Mm-hmm. It's so fascinating. Um, you know, so, so at this moment, you have a number of scientific breakthroughs that you've discovered. I, I would love for you to share what findings specifically um, you've made recently pertaining to, it's so fascinating to me, both degenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and acute events like strokes. Um, what is one particular finding most recently that um, that speaks to, to those? What we have tried is to, and we are slowly succeeding, is trying to demonstrate the molecular mechanism of action of these, of these guardians. How do they work? What do they do? And, 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 and teasing apart brain cells we began finding that the DNA in those brain cells gets methyl groups, is methylated. And so a very straightforward set of experiments that we have done are adding to human brain cells in a Petri dish oligomeric A-beta peptide. A-beta peptide is a protein, it's a, it's a protein that is formed and accumulate in abnormal amounts in Alzheimer's disease. And that will make the senile plaques. And so 
But when the central plaques form in our brain, it's too late, okay? Because then, then there are a lot of consequences of pathology. We are interested about the causes. What is the very beginning? So we use the little oligomers, which are pieces of those, and add to the cells. And, and so we were able to identify their mechanisms at the level of the DNA and at the level of the chromosomes of the cells that are driving aging in a wrong way. And when I say driving aging in a wrong way, is that those cells will really start misfunctioning and will die. And we can measure the death of neurons in a Petri dish. And with our molecular guardian, the most recent one that we discovered that we call elovanoids, they are able in very low amount to block that process. So in parallel, we have a mouse that has a mutation of that particular form of toxic molecules of Alzheimer's. So we are testing there the same mechanism. The third way that we are doing, as you know, uh, I have a very active interaction in the Karolinska Institute in Sweden. I'm appointed professor there, and we have published three papers very recently together, where we have discovered in the cerebrospinal fluid of patients with Alzheimer's disease, changes that they give us hints about what we are seeing in a Petri dish. So, so we are trying to combine what happened with brain cells in a Petri dish, with animal models and with patients with Alzheimer's. In a, in a nutshell, some of those guardians are anti-inflammatory to our brain, and other guardians are pro-inflammatory. The pro-inflammatory are bad guardians because they will produce damage. The anti-inflammatory are our good guys that contain the damage. And so we were able by first time to put this in perspective. You know, Ali, this is like, like using different models, different approaches, uh, bring us like in a puzzle, you know, these are pieces of a puzzle and, and bring us to understand almost, and we aim to understand the totality of that. Wow. Well, it's, again, it's, it's so fascinating. Um, so beyond life in the lab, life in your office, on set, on stage at times, you have a life at home. Among, again, let's go back to your achievements, among all your achievements, I know your family is at the top of that list. You and your wife, Dr. Haide Bazan, You've raised five accomplished children and are blessed with 14 grandchildren. You've been so incredibly successful, both at work and at home. How? What is the secret to that <laughs> level of success in life? Well, there's no secret. I mean, you know, we, we Heidi, is, uh, she's a PhD scientist, the faculty here at LSU does outstanding science on the eye actually in the, in the corner of the eye. And, and, and part, part of the roots that we have are an event that happened in our lives 40 years ago. At that time, uh, I, I was the head of a research institute that I began in Argentina. 
but we have a military dictatorship there and, 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 and I have to leave the country from one day to the other. And uh, literally, uh, the ambassador of the United States sent us to a plane, uh, Heidi, my wife, and five children. And we have actually four suitcases and, and two boxes with some papers that I was able to put together of the work that I was doing. We really escaped. We arrived to Miami without visas. And the State Department was so extraordinarily open they were waiting for us in Miami without visas, <laughs> and we arrived to this country. And and and, and perhaps that that event uh, marked our children somehow. Our older daughter at that time was 14 years old. Uh, they, they, we have 14, 12, 10, 7, and 2 years old, and they did not speak the language. They did not understood the culture of America. We are right here in July. In August, they went to school. And, and, and it was quite a... Also, I had to begin my, my, my life as a scientist here. Heidi, Heidi stayed at home organizing things for a few months. And then she also came to work at the university. But perhaps that, that, that event somehow gave our children some perspective but but Ali you know they all went through life now 40 years here four decades and they went through up and downs in life and as any human being you know they have up and downs uh, and and uh, but fortunately all of them have work ethics have uh, values are, are all of them in, in in different manners they are dedicated to the community and and they are doing great things uh, uh, and, and uh, you know they, they they survive their own experiences and their own challenges successfully I don't, I don't know what <laughs> what we did I mean we we, we just tried to uh, Heidi and I tried to in a, in a, in a way in a, in a silent way perhaps to to show that that you know values and and uh, and a life of principle and principles and purpose uh, around the family uh, is important. Perhaps the, you know it's difficult to say. Well, this is the reason. <laughs> <laughs> right. There was a few different things here, but certainly uh, with principles and purpose, how can you go wrong? I suppose. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Right. Um, so I, I would love to end this, well, I wouldn't like to end this conversation. I'd like to just keep talking all night long, but uh, let's end this conversation with an operatic metaphor. <laughs> As a patron of the arts and supporter of the New Orleans opera, this seems befitting. So for those who feel their life has consisted of nothing but a straight tone, how do they find their vibrato. How do they find that vibrato in their own life? <laughs> it's a very interesting question, and and uh, uh, for various reasons. I mean, I've, I've been a member of the board of the opera for for several, I mean, for a few decades actually. And Heidi and I chair the maestro circle uh, of, the, of our opera. Uh, the opera Niolis is very special because it was the very first opera in the Americas before than Washington, Chicago, 
and 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 an opera itself the music is is very very important in a way because as you know not only you have the singing and the music but the acting all together so so it, it has a special power and 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 some, something that, that I like to share with you is the fourth uh, theme uh, that will be portrayed in New Orleans which will be at the end of January is actually Charlie Park Parker Charlie Parker is a very special connection to me for me even before coming to the United States because I've read about him many years ago uh, you know he he created a different form of jazz and was a very special talented musician but he wanted at one point or another to connect jazz with other forms of music I mean there is evidence that perhaps he even wanted to connect with classical music I don't think he ever did but but he has a very tragic life I think he had four or five wives uh, but he when he was a teenager this this impacted me many years ago and and, and he is from the beginning to the end in my novel Una Vida Charlie Parker uh, he when he was a teenager had some sort of a condition and was put on painkillers and he began become become an addict and not only painkillers but alcohol drugs and he died when he was 33 34 years of age and and uh, uh, but 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 what he did in that period of time was really extraordinary and and the the, the Philadelphia uh, or, uh, opera philharmonic decided to do an opera for him which is Charlie Parker and that will be portrayed here at the end of January in fact Heidi and I are the sponsors of that and, and but, but this would be an opera without without the symphony you know it would be an opera with only a, a, a small group of musicians I don't know if you are aware but but one form of opera that began 500 years ago is the chamber chamber opera where you only have four musicians and and uh, and and so Charlie Parker and also uh, the conductor of the opera mm -hmm. is a professor from Juilliard who, mm -hmm. who is who was born in Argentina wow uh, and, and and this is this is a more broad general uh, answer around your question which is a good one <laughs> <laughs> yes it's all about just finding the inner vibrato and uh which, absolutely well i just I, I can't thank you enough for your time for your work for all that you've done for so many throughout the course of your career in your life and um just for helping all of us become a bit more aware now. Thank you so much. No, I, I want to thank you because what you do is very, very important in many, in many, in many facets. I mean, what you and Jack have done in your publication, I believe has a tremendous impact on society because you deal with issues that are so important, so critical, and many other media deal with more superficial aspects of issues. I, I think what you have tried to do, unlike other media, is to go a little bit more in depth about about these issues that are so important. So 
thank you for doing what you and Jack are doing and, and congratulations for because I believe you have a high impact on society with what you do alone. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Honored to have you on this journey with us. This is this is one of the medical she is doing an honor thesis with me and is is a medical student that we graduated in one year. Yes, no, she's doing excited. an interview for, for oh. something, so I'm going to the lab. But <laughs> <laughs> walking to the lab, I hope this will not disconnect. Okay, what's going on here? Oh my god. Look, 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 look. Look at this. Hi everyone. <laughs> Actually, I came to check what are you all doing. I've been lucky, and I mean it. I hope I hope all of you are included, because I have always been surrounded by people that are interested in what they do. They have talent. They have dedication. And this is you all. Are you taping, Ali? Yep, it's recording. <laughs> it's recording. Okay, people, very nice, but. They must go to work, all of them now. Bola, come over. This, this, uh, this is actually a cardiologist, okay? That Hi. Came, he came from Egypt and had been in the lab already for one year and a half. And now we're working on the stroke project. Madigan, come over. This is, this is one of the talented persons. She's a PhD candidate, but in the middle of being a PhD, she decided most recently, because at the beginning you never told me that, most recently that she wants to go to medical school. So she, she will finish hopefully soon. I'm trying to get her out of here soon and go to medical school hopefully soon. Uh, this, is, this is Dr. Calandria. Jorgelina is, is one of the success stories of, the, of our laboratory. In, in a way, she's in a clear path of full independence. She has developed new ideas of her own on Parkinson's disease, and, and she's committed to develop them and, and is doing super science. And, uh, and uh, let's see, this, this uh, nice lady here, Mary Ulrich, why, why don't you say a few things about you, yeah, where sure. you came from? Yeah, uh, I'm originally from Martinique, I'm from Charlton in the Caribbean. Uh, I did my PhD in France, Strasbourg. And uh, I did a, a postdoc in uh, UC Davis, and this is my second postdoc with Dr. Bazan. It's a very, it's a pleasure to work with him. He's very talented, a lot of good ideas, and we have our hands on very nice equipment, so we are very pleased with that. <laughs> <laughs> the one hidden here. Why don't you take your your mask? Because yeah, actually, Bivo, Bivo is a problem right. that I have in some ways. Because he takes away, he was in India, came back, and tell in a, in, a, in a few in a few words. You know, Ali, we will be talking about uh, successful aging shortly, mm -hmm. uh, and we are very much interested about things that happen in the chromosomes when methyl groups get in there. It's called DNA methylation. And, and with Vivo, uh, actually, thanks to his efforts, we identify mechanisms at the level of the DNA and the chromosomes, because our chromosomes, if they get shorter, 
you know, that is a failure of aging. We have to try to keep our chromosomes longer and, and there are mechanisms to keep them there. And we found ways to do that with human cells. And uh, do, do you want to add something? Okay, say a few things, please. Hi, Ali. Uh, so, like as Dr. Kazan mentioned, like right now we are looking at epigenetic regulation of uh, chromosomes, like with telomerase and histone methylation, DNA methylation. And one of Dr. Kazan's lipid mediators that he identified and discovered in the lab, we are seeing that we can alter implications that are being affected with, through multiple decisions. So that's like a great area that we are working and trying to understand and uncover more things. Uh, the, the other one that I wanted just briefly to mention is Jeff G. He He's a MD, PhD candidate. Okay, Alice that you met earlier is an MD doing an honor thesis, but he's doing the full MD and the full PhD. He came from Canada. Do you want to you said a few words, yeah, Jeff? Yeah, sure. I did my undergraduate and master's at McGill in Montreal. And uh, I met Dr. Bazan during my master's when he gave a wonderful lecture. So I was really motivated to work in his lab. And that was a big reason I applied to LSU uh, for the MD-PhD program. Um, I work in the realm of stroke, uh, interest in lipidomics and eventually transcriptomics. So, he, yes, well, so, so this is the... Yeah, Rasangi, we just, just show up. You see, she's a chemist that came to from LSU to work in the lab, and Dr. Gordon is there. I mean, Bill, 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 have, Bill and I have been working together for three decades. Three decades? More, more than three decades. He's very talented cell biologist, physiologist. Even he begins now to speak a little bit of molecular biology sometimes also. <laughs> Do you want to say the word, Bill? Um, no. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> what, what I'm interested in is the retina. Um, I look at mostly human donor retinas, uh, older retinas that are normal or have AMD. And um, I do sections on those retinas. We isolate areas of those retinas for uh, mass, uh, mass spectrometry. And we're trying to find out what the differences are between AMD and the normal ones in the macula and in the periphery. And we find that uh, there are major differences, uh, gender differences, and uh, probably it looks like the female retina is much more susceptible to AMD than the male. That's what I'm doing. Okay, here, here is, thank you, Bill. Here is another, another graduate student doing a PhD. She came from Tennessee. And, and here in, in, in LSU, we are not very happy with Tennessee, but that's another story. Very peacefully not happy. Yeah, well, it was like, uh, what was it like? It was bad. <laughs> Okay, we are talking about football now, okay? Yes, yes. <laughs> you, you cannot mess with LSU or the Saints. Okay? <laughs> Although the Saints, we might be calling them soon the Aints, as we used to. <laughs> Anyhow, go ahead, tell us, tell us a little bit about you. Hi, um, I have a bachelor's and a master's, again from Tennessee, as Dr. Passan said. 
Um, I'm very lucky that he accepted me into his lab. I'm mostly interested in epigenetics behind neurodegeneration and degenerative diseases. So he opened, welcomed me with open arms and I'm now with him and Dr. Calandria and uh, Bebo working on the genetics project. Good, good. So awesome. we, we, are, we are going to go back to my office uh, now and thank okay. you. <laughs> thank you everybody. Thank you everyone. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's see if this knee will start working. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that was lovely to see them. Well, yeah, so they, these are special people. It's all about the people that we, that we oh, work absolutely, with. Absolutely. Oh, walking in the hallway here is the assistant business manager. You see? Hi. <laughs> Hello. Look at this, Kathy. And hidden desk. It's Zevi. Zevi, hello. Zevi <laughs> yeah, literally has been 35 years. Yeah, or more. <laughs> more than 35 years, my assistant. Oh, so amazing to meet you. Yeah, yeah these are all amazing people. Tune into our podcast, subscribe to our magazine. Find us and join us online. Visit IamAwareNow.com. We will no longer wait for permission to change the world. Together, we are aware now. <laughs>